The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James. Described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. But I mean, you have to kind of be able to take your own emotions and your own experience and translate it into a fictional story. And I think, you know, if you can pull on the truths that you know, then you can you can bring them to the reader. So, for instance, I like I said, I haven't I haven't had someone close to me murdered, but I certainly know a lot about grief and I think everybody does. So for me, that was a way into the story. This story opened up a lot uh, during the Me Too moment because I started looking back at my past relationships, as I think a lot of people did, and started looking at which relationships were possibly, you know, imbalanced. Greetings, scribes, and welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you positivity, productivity, and creative abundance in 2021. Kicking off the new year, internationally best-selling thriller writer Emily Schultz spoke with me about recollections of coming of age as a Gen Xer, her creative process in multiple mediums, and how to funnel emotion onto the page. Emily's the co-founder of the literary magazine Joyland, as the author of The Blondes, an international bestseller named Best Book of 2015 by NPR, BookPage, and Kirkus Reviews. Her latest novel is Little Threats, described as a taut whodunit and a haunting snapshot of the effects of a violent crime, and tells the story of a woman who served 15 years in prison for murder, and now it's time to find out if she's guilty. The book was named an Apple Books Best of November 2020 pick, and Booklist wrote, fans of Tana French, Kimberly Bell, and Orange is the New Black will fall under this book's spell. Emily's writing has appeared in L, Slate, Vice, Hazlitt, Prairie Schooner, and many others. She's also a producer at the indie media company Heroic Collective and recently released a complimentary podcast adaptation of The Blondes. And stay tuned for a clip from the Little Threats audiobook at the break, excerpted courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio, read by Dylan Moore and Ariadne Myers. 
In this file, Emily and I discussed the influential literary magazine she helped co-found, how to get an accidental blurb from Stephen King, the pandemic's effect on the author's creative process, how to pull on the truths you know and bring them to your readers, and what to do when you don't have access to resources as a writer. Stay safe and stay sane out there. We'll see you on the other side. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. Okay, we are back on The Writer Files. I am thrilled to have a special guest today. I have author Emily Schultz. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you were a busy lady uh, doing all the all the things for the new one. But uh, yeah, how are you surviving there? Uh, you're in New York, yeah? Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn. It's a beautiful day, but I'm happy to be on the show. It's great to talk to you. Oh, we appreciate your time and um, for sharing sharing some things with us today. But yeah, let's uh, let's turn back the clock a little bit and just talk kind of about your superhero origin story as we do with, with most writers. Um, take us back because... You've had your your fingers in so many different kind of creative projects throughout your career, including um, this fantastic uh, literary mag, Joy Land, and then of course your um, your your heroic collective brand. Talk a little bit about kind of you know how you became this international bestselling novelist, but you know wind wind back the clock a little bit because it seems like you've done a lot of different things, including some stuff on the the production side. So. Um, yeah, talk to us about, about your background a little. Sure. Well, yeah, I've done a lot of, lot of different stuff. Um, so I started my career in Canada and, um, then I moved to Brooklyn and, um, in Canada, that's where I was when I started Joyland Magazine with my partner, Brian Davis. And, um, the idea there was to come up with a literary magazine, uh, short fiction online and to uh, showcase work from different communities. So um, we wanted to make a magazine that was international um, so that Canadians would be read in the United States and uh, American authors would be read in Canada and you know something kind of bi-coastal. And, um, and that just kind of exploded. We ran that for about 10 years and now it's being run by another wonderful young writer named Michelle Lynn King. Uh, and it has lots of different regions, you know, um, the West Coast and the South and, you know, <laughs> New York and Canada and an yeah. international translation section. Um, so I've been kind of in the literary world for a long time. But um, Brian and I also decided to adapt my novel, The Blondes, as a podcast. And so we produced that. Um, through Joyland, I was starting to do podcasting. Um, I was interviewing authors and that sort of thing. And then mm-hmm. we decided, what if we took this novel and, you know, um, adapted it essentially. And so it's a, it's a fictional adaptation podcast and it has actors like, um, Madeline Zima and Helen Hong and Rob Belushi and yeah. they're playing the characters from the novel. Right. Uh, so that's a little bit of, you know, what I've done. Uh, and the rest of the time I'm, you know, writing novels when I can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's pretty fascinating the the, what, what you took from the blondes and obviously it, it it's not the, the, the Blondes podcast is not, it's set kind of uh, after the original, right? So it's kind of a, almost like a... A little bit, yeah. almost like a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of half of the half of the novel and, and half new material. 
And um, it was it was a lot of fun to do. Yeah. I mean, we wanted we wanted to update it a bit. Brian and I both come from like a DIY background, and so it just made sense. Um, we both made a lot of things. Um, he started out in like audio, um, music, and uh, visual arts, and mm-hmm. so together we're kind of a team. That's cool. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds amazing. It, it, the the uh, the quality of production is pretty fantastic. So congrats on that. Thank and you. of course, I mean, did you think? that the blondes would receive kind of the the um you know just the incredible outpouring of, like i think you know it's been called a um what you call it a satirical sci-fi novel but did you ever think that that uh stephen king would uh <laughs> blurb you no and i mean the, the, stephen, <laughs> the stephen king thing was actually an accident that came out of um a different bizarre occurrence i mean you can't you can't plan these things. Basically, I had an early novel named Joyland, which is also the name of the magazine we started. Yeah. And S- Stephen King actually came out with a novel called Joyland. And so that was how that happened was people kept confusing our novels. Oh, and that's so funny. I made a blog about it and then he really responded to that. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah. So that one was, was a huge success. And of course, uh, the new one, which we're going to talk about, um, Little Threats. Uh, little, literally just came out. I think today is the yes the birth of your baby. Um, it is. So we're very lucky to have you. But um, it's been called a tot who done it and a haunting snapshot of the effects of violent crime. But talk a little bit about you know sh- switching gears. Obviously, um, it's a little bit different for you, but but also kind of showcases more of your your talent. So talk about writing the writing of little threats and kind of the difference between the two. Yeah, um, I think Little Threats and The Blondes are similar in some ways because they're both about young women. Um, and The Blondes, you know, it's a young woman moving through a pandemic and a crisis, a global crisis. <laughs> um, in the uh, in the new one, it's about a young woman who's being released from prison for a crime that she doesn't know whether she committed it. But um, both books have similarities in that they both uh, they both are about young young women. They're both about female friendship. Uh, they're both about kind of the power struggles and conflicts that women have with each other. Um, both books start with hair. <laughs> mm-hmm. In this one, uh, <laughs> Ken- Kennedy, the main character, finds her friend Haley dead in the woods, and she winds up snipping a bit of her hair to take away. And that's what connects her to the crime. Um, and so I, I kind of liked that I have that little wink back to my book, which was about you know, a pandemic that had to do with women's hair. Mm-hmm. So, I like it. Yeah. Little, little, uh, Easter eggs there, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, talk a little bit about the, the time frame there of the kind of the grunge era and like any influences you had in writing the book. I mean, it must, it must reflect some of your, your personal experiences. Oh, sure. So, I mean, this novel, the crime takes place in 1993. That's, that's when the murder occurs. And then we skip ahead to 2008 when she's being released from prison. And um, I really did want to look back at the grunge era. I mean, I am Gen X. I came of age at the same time as these characters, um, possibly even a couple of years ahead of them. But uh, it was fun to uh, go back and revisit the music, but also to, to look at what these things meant to us as young people. And then now as an adult and we've moved on so significantly in terms of there's been so much cultural and social change since that time. Mm-hmm. And so I did kind of want to look at what did the nineties mean? It was this time of, you know, people were extremely politically active. 
Um, and at the same time, there was a lot of, you know, subversion and a lot of anger in the culture, um, you know, uh, very much a lot of posturing um, and a lot of pretending one doesn't care in the like, <laughs> you know, just thrown together look of that <laughs> right. time period. Um, and, and then to to come back and touch down with these characters when they're in their 30s and just see who they are. That was um, something I really wanted to look at, as well as just to kind of think about how much changes within a 15 year period. Um, like yeah. in the in the novel, we have the death of Cobain, which was such a moment uh, for people. And then we rejoin as President Obama is being elected is really when we come back to their story. So just the sort of shifting and also what it meant in terms of crime. Um, you know, when you go back to a time where you didn't have, you were just starting to have DNA testing and people didn't quite understand, people didn't quite understand, they didn't really get it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and we didn't have cameras everywhere and we didn't have the kind of digital imprint that we have today. So if you're going to write a crime novel with a crime set in 1993, it means something very different than, you know, a crime that you would put in a novel today and how they might go about solving that or figuring out what really happened. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So that brings me to, um, yeah, I mean, I want to dig into your process a little bit, but, but talk about, um, kind of now, you know, obviously, um, from the blondes to little threats, a little bit of a pivot, but, um, talk about like what's on the horizon for you creatively. Are you working on another novel or do you have your hands in a lot of different things still? I do have my hands in a lot of different things. So I'm working on a new novel, but it's early days. Um, it also has a, a memory focus. Um, in this novel, in Little Threats, um, Kennedy is not quite sure what happened because she doesn't remember that night because she mm -hmm. was high. And uh, in the new one, I'm going to touch down with a woman who's been in possibly an accident or possibly someone tried to hurt her. And she's trying to repiece um, what may have happened and her friends are helping her remember by having a party for her where they kind of lend her their memories. Um, so that's the new one, but I'm also working on another podcast with my partner, Brian. Mm. Um, I mean, podcasting is a lot of fun and the blondes was, um, sold and translated into French, uh, a, yeah. a company in France called Sibel picked it up. And so I'm enjoying continuing to do that kind of work and, uh, you know, it's, it's a juggle, but I love it. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, when you are, uh, digging in on the writing projects, you know, you, you've mentioned the influence of music, uh, on the era, but do you, are you someone who will dig into a, a catalog from, you know, like say the, the grunge era while you're writing, um, little threats or, you know, are you, are you someone who prefers silence while you write? Uh, both, both. So, I mean, I, I did listen to a lot of nineties music. I put a playlist up on Spotify that just has a few select songs in mm. it. But while I was writing, I had a much longer playlist and, uh, you know, more diverse. Um, but basically I packed it with almost everything I could remember. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And so that was a lot of fun, but I mean, I do also write to silence. Like sometimes if I need to concentrate and music can be distracting, then I'll just put my earbuds in and have silence in, but somehow having the earbuds in will help me stay focused and keep me at my computer. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you feel that kind of the, the current state of the world, you know, kind of what we, what we talk about as this concentric circles of crises, um, you know, and, and namely the pandemic, do you feel that it's going to affect you as a, a creative or, or 
is it going to bleed into your writing or your subconscious? Um, you know, I talk a lot, of, we've talked a lot about this and, and I want to get different writers takes on kind of how it's going to affect you personally. Yeah. I mean, I think it affects everybody. I mean, a lot of people lost a lot of income this year and that affects you. It affects what you write. Um, in terms of it means that maybe you want to write something more marketable that you think you'll sell more copies of because you need to eat and pay your rent. Mm. Um, you know, in this case, I'm, I'm continuing with the project that I started before the pandemic and just crossing my fingers. Um, but I mean, I think we're always affected by this stuff. And I think it affects how we interpret the world around us and, and other people and our relationships. And that all winds up in the writing as well. Like um, with the blondes, uh, you know, I think in some ways it was a response to 9-11, even though you might not think that just because mm. it was about uh, what happens um, when you have kind of a breakdown and um, and people start to profile one another. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I mean, the book for anyone who hasn't heard it was about a rabies like pandemic that. Um, basically it's, it's blonde women raging out. And so blonde women become sort of profiled as these, you know, ferocious creatures. Right. Um, uh, but with little threats, I mean, I'm really relieved, you know, the pandemic hit and the book did get a, a bit of a push in terms of its release date. I think a lot of books did. Um, but I'm really relieved that the book is set in 1993 and 2008 because, Thankfully, it means that we can read it now and what we're living through doesn't change how the story would progress. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas if I had said it in this current year, I, I might feel more conflicted about what the story means now. Um, the meaning of the story is, you know, within its own world. Um, so that's a way that I think we might be affected as we keep making, you know, art and literature through this period, which is, you know, how do we have characters interacting? Do they have masks? Um, you know, are mm. we no longer going to have big gaps? We can't have concert scenes in our novels now. What do you mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm not considering it yet as much as I may in the future. We'll see. As, as we keep mentioning, we're, we're kind of all living in a Stephen King novel. But, uh, yeah, congrats also on... Um, Getting show uh, that Little Threats was chosen uh, as an Apple Books uh, best book of November. That's pretty exciting. I just saw that. Yeah, that's really exciting. I'm so <laughs> thrilled. I mean, I'm very moved by that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, let's talk about your creative process just a little bit. Um, do you have, like, how, as somebody who's doing a lot of different things and, and working a lot of different um, mediums, how do you personally kind of define creativity? And or do you have a, any creative muses at the at the moment? Uh, oh, um, well, I mean, I think that we're influenced by everything we take in. So like, I'm a really big film nerd and I love watching film and TV. And it definitely influences what I write and how I'm writing it because it's another way to tell stories. I mean, songs also are a way to tell story, right? A ballad is just, just a story. Mm -hmm. Right. Or, or a power, you know, something that's power pop even is still telling a story of maybe a breakup. But as well, they're they're exploring mood and tone. And so I really do like to just constantly be taking in different media. What what do you think? What do you think makes a writer great? What do you think? What do you think really makes writing jump off the page these uh, days? Um, well, I think that you have to be willing to just go into yourself really deeply. Um, so everything that I put in is, is fiction. You know, I didn't have a best friend who was murdered. 
I'm not a twin. I have twins in my family. I have a lot of friends who are twins, so I know a little bit about the twin relationship, you know, and I can express that in the novel. But I mean, you have to kind of be able to take your own emotions and your own experience and translate it into a fictional story. And I think, you know, if you can pull on the truths that you know, then you can you can bring them to the reader. So for instance, I like I said, I haven't I haven't had someone close to me murdered, but I certainly know a lot about grief and I think everybody does. So for me, that was a way into the story. This story opened up a lot uh, during the Me Too moment because I started looking back at my past relationships, as I think a lot of people did, and started looking at which relationships were possibly, you know, imbalanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I brought some of that into the novel, like the the two girls have a relationship with an older boy who's in college when they're teenagers, you know, and he gives them drugs and he takes them to concerts and he takes them to parties and he opens up their world. But at the same time, he's older than them and he's a bit of a predator. And, uh, and once I knew that I wanted to put that in, then I could sit down with that and think about what that relationship is and then what it means to the characters and what emotions it brings out. And it's basically, I think, about trying to take all of those emotions and find a way to get them onto the page. So they're not necessarily your own, but you can give them to the reader in a way that's manageable. And I think that we process a lot through fiction, both reading and writing. Um, So my hope is that when a reader sits with my work, they're also processing all of these things that they may have lived through, whether it's you know, a slightly abusive relationship or whether it's, um, mm-hmm. the, th- the thrill, the thrill of youth and experimentation. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, um, a couple faves, uh, that you're enjoying right now? Um, sitting on your nightstand or ones you keep coming back to authors oh. that is. Oh my gosh. I, there's so many, so many great authors. Um, I recently read a really great short story collection by a woman named Rebecca Fishow called the trouble with language. Hmm. Um, I think that Emily St. John Mandel's newest, uh, the glass hotel is really good. Uh, there's, um, a poet. I love poetry too. There's a poet named Ilya Kaminsky. And, um, I think he's just fantastic. His, um, his, his poetry collection was called deaf Republic. Hmm. And, um, it's actually in some ways also very surreal and almost dystopian. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it is more of like a story poetry collection almost cool uh, yeah so those are just a few yeah absolutely um well uh before we wrap up with your kind of parting wisdom for for aspiring scribes uh i got a fun one for you if you could have dinner with any author from any era oh, at your fa- at your favorite <laughs> favorite restaurant in the world um post pandemic of course um <laughs> all expense paid uh who would you choose and where would you take them Okay, well, so obviously it probably should be Stephen King because (laughs) he was really kind to me and because I have not actually personally met him. So that would be really cool. (laughs) Um, And I love Indian food. So I think it's going to have to be like an Indian restaurant in Midtown Manhattan. Yeah, that's just if I'm fantasizing. Very nice. I like it. All right. Well, Little Threats out now is uh, Schultz's finely honed thriller let us through a nerve wracking maze of dubious memories and questionable intentions. I like that. that's from Apple books, mm-hmm. uh, terse and tense little threats investigates righteous anger, teenage angst and the enormity of setting the record straight. And that's from book list. Lots of great blurbs out there. Uh, congrats on that one. Yeah. Uh, what do you want to say to your, to your fellow scribes just on how to keep going, keep their chin up, 
Um, you know, they might not have all the resources and access right now, but you know, how, how, how are they going to just keep, keep going, keep writing? Just remember, nobody has like resources and access right now. We're all isolated and lonely and, um, we're just continuing to do it. I mean, I think you just have to try to find your confidence and push through. And when the blank page is daunting or the blank screen, go for a walk, go for a run, you know, have, have a conversation with a friend. Uh, it's, it's what we're all doing. I like that. Well, thank you for your time, for your wisdom. Congrats on all of your successes. And we hope you come back and wrap with us in the future. Okay. Thank you so much. Kennedy rode with her father for an hour with the flowers he'd brought clutched against her chest, breathing in, smelling them. She had been surprised when she saw that Jerry had laid an old jacket of hers from the closet across the front seat. It had a cluster of round pins still clinging to the lapel. One for the band The Smiths, an AIDS awareness button, and one that she knew had made Lane and Jerry glare with worry. No means no. She pulled the jacket around her more than put it on. She'd wondered if there would be some sad polyester shirt or crushed velvet top to be returned to her upon release. But they had only her wages for her. Between the flowers and a McDonald's milkshake, Jerry insisted was once her favorite. He was like an eager boy who had come to take her on a date. The drink was a punch of sweet that delighted and then quickly nauseated her. Kennedy was overwhelmed. The smell of the daisies, the world flying past her beyond the window. It was all starting to seem like a trip. The point where the cresting acid would make the banal world beautiful. She gripped the inside of the car door with one hand. It was dizzying. Jerry drove fast and talked fast. I'm sorry Carter didn't come. I'm sure she'll be at the house. But Kennedy said nothing. She didn't feel like speaking. She just wanted to breathe in the delicate air. Jerry tapped some buttons on the BMW console and connected a call. Kennedy listened to the ringing, an ordinary thing that seemed alien to her, coming as it did from within a car. After the ringing, her sister's recorded voice came out of the speaker's. You've reached Carter Randall. I can't pick up. Then silence. Carter, it's me. I'm out, Kennedy said to the windshield of the car when Jerry nodded at her. Give us a damn call, how about it? Jerry exclaimed. Carter Randall. Kennedy had almost forgotten she still went by it. Carter had discarded their surname, Wynn, years ago, like a baby doll dress. At the height of the media coverage, it made sense to all of them for Carter to hide under their mother's name. No one in her family had thought any of this would be permanent. It would write itself, like any other record skip in suburban life. No more serious than a possum in the garage, a quiet separation, or a DUI. Her dad was a lawyer, after all. He had told Kennedy all the charges would be dropped. He had told her the defense attorneys were looking into the possibility that the crime was connected to the Colonial Parkway murders, a string of Lover's Lane murders a few years before that had never been solved. I-64, 
ran practically past the woods, he'd argued, and these victims were all young people too. A year after Kennedy went to jail, Carter had brought in a page from Spin magazine showing Trent Reznor wearing a homemade Free Kennedy Win shirt during his Richmond concert. It was a rush, and for a minute Kennedy felt free from the not knowing, all the thoughts of, did I do this? But ultimately, it only put murder groupies onto her family, people who clipped things from newspapers or, a few years later, found case details online. Those fans dubbed her Dead Kennedy, just like the kids in high school had done. Carter tried not to tell her about the emails and phone calls that still sometimes made their way through filters. Men wanting to get in touch with Kennedy. Others telling Carter, you'll do, because of their resemblance. Carter had once been a mathlete and won scholarships to drama summer intensives. But Kennedy had attended more college inside of a prison than Carter had managed to outside of one. She often wondered what Carter might have been without her as a twin. There was a faint scent of perfume on the collar of the shapeless black dress Carter had chosen for her, which Jerry had brought to the prison. Kennedy wondered if she'd tried it on. She noticed that Jerry took a different exit from the highway, one she didn't remember. It meant they didn't have to drive down Smoke Line, past the woods. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.